very much a seller's market in lithium right now. Uh, whilst it would be good to, to ink an offtake agreement, I think that it's more important to, to ink a good one, you know, one that's solid, binding, bankable, and with the right sort of people. Welcome back to Rockstock Channel, and thanks for checking in. Before we launch into the interview, we'd like to thank all our Patreon sponsors. And for those of you who are new, share a bit about us. RK Equity is an advisory firm run by Rodney Hooper and me, Howard Klein. We are exclusively focused on raising awareness about companies producing or developing the next generation critical raw materials that are powering Tesla's EV battery energy transition. Please register your email at rkequity.com and follow Rodney and me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please also subscribe to this channel, Rockstock Channel on YouTube, as well as Lithium Ion Rocks on SoundCloud for our podcasts. Please note, Rodney and me are not financial advisors or broker dealers. Nothing you hear in this video is investment advice. Please do your own research and read the disclaimer at the end of this video or on our website. Thanks again for the support and let's get into the video. Okay, good morning. It is Tuesday, July 27th, I am here with Keith Coughlin, the Chairman, uh, Managing Director of European Metals Holdings, which operates Australian listed and as of today is now officially has ADRs trading in the US. So we're going to talk about that. We have been advisors to and investors in European Metals Holdings since around August of or September of last year. I have my Mr. Market scoreboard in front of me, which shows European Metal Holding kind of in the middle of the pack here of advanced development exploration. This was as of the end of June, about 200 million market cap. There are not too many European projects um, on this list, but there, there's you know one in Germany here, Vulcan, DLE, Brian, which has a very high market cap. Rodney has written a research note. Uh, it's on our website you know, in February about European Metals Holdings, the Cinevec deposit has been past producer. It's a brownfield. Keith, you started and have been involved with this company since 2013. There is a very large historic tin resource there, and it's a historic tin mine. And there was a very large but non-compliant uh, resource for lithium as well, just at a stage when lithium was beginning to get a little interesting. So we had quite a bit of work to do over the next couple of years, bringing that resource into modern day classification and starting some work on various potential uh, process paths um, that we could use to extract the, uh, the, the lithium in particular. Uh, so it's been, it's been an interesting journey, quite a long journey, but I think it's, it's gone by quite quickly. We're now eight years into this. You've had you know, scoping study, pre-feasibility study, and then a second pre-feasibility study you know, from 2019. In May of last year, you basically sold 51% of the project to your partner, Chez, for $32 million. And you have appointed SMS Group, which is a very large uh, EPCM group out of Germany. I want to talk about these partners and your joint venture and the path from here to uh, final investment decision, which, which you hope you know, could be as early as, I guess, you know, nine or 12 months from now, once the definitive feasibility study you know, is complete. I do want to talk as well. There's been a lot of um, press uh, in today's, uh, apart from your listing here, the timing is good. The Czech government is committing up to $2 billion for a 40 gigawatt hour plant. And there's been talks that they're talking to Volkswagen as well as LG Chem um, as potential partners for that plant, but also importantly, Chez as a 70% government owned utility and something like the 13 billion market cap company. 
you know, they've said in these articles that an attraction and part of the battery plant is that Chez is going to supply lithium to the battery plant. With, with that as the backdrop, uh, your, your PFS from 2019 um, had a 1.1 billion NPV. If you have half of that project, you know, that, that would be your 550 million. You're trading at 35% of the NPV of that study, which was based on much lower prices of lithium hydroxide than today. Um, I think it was based on $12,000. So if you were to plug in and as you do your, your new definitive feasibility study, I imagine you'd use higher prices. So I, I think listeners could, could expect, you know, that NPV, you know, likely to be a bit higher. Um, and the production that you're talking about in that study was for 23,000 tons of hydroxide, uh, but you, you believe that there's you know, scope potentially to to double that. You know, we're feeling in a pretty good position at the moment. Obviously, the macro for lithium globally is very strong, and I don't think anywhere in the world is it as strong as it is in Europe. You know, if you look at the project, where it sits, the number of battery factories being built around it, the number of vehicles that are built within 500 kilometres of the project, I think is in the vicinity of 6 million per year. And obviously every year that goes by now, more and more of those vehicles are being, uh, being made electric. We see a tremendous level of support from the European Union and the various uh, member states to a, an electric vehicle future, a tremendous amount of support to a battery industry. And more recently, a, a realisation and a commitment to developing the region's own critical raw materials. Um, so all of these things are very much in our favour. Uh, and, uh, you know, the news that came through today of the Czech government signing an MOU on that battery factory that you mentioned, Howard, with our partner, Chez, at a location that is 50 or 55 kilometres from the project is fantastic news. So, as I say, we're feeling quite good about where the project is and, and what the, um, the future looks like for us. Uh, Keith, one of the uh, announcements that you guys uh, recently put out was um, an LCA that you are going to be using in Minvaro. Do you want to just give the listeners uh, some of the key standouts that make the project uh, lower carbon? You know, anecdotally, we, we believe that the project is going to stack up very strongly from all ESG credentials, but in, particularly, uh, in particular, the CO2 footprint. And so we've gone to the step of in, in involving Minvira to give us a formal independent study, you know, that we hope will, will demonstrate what we think is the case. And there are a few reasons why. I mean, how close we are likely to be to our end users. You know, we don't envisage having to move end product more than a couple of hundred kilometres, you know, whoever it is in the region that we end up selling to. But, it, but there are a number of other factors as well. Re-entering a historic underground mine is obviously considerably better from ESG um, perspective than trying to break new ground, uh, particularly if it were an open pit that you were trying to permit. So all of those things are positive. Specifically, CO2, energy consumption. If you look at uh, producing battery-grade chemicals from zimbaldite, the mica host rock that we have, versus spodumene, for example, it's a significantly lower cost operation uh, to begin with, uh, with, with spodumene, you have to calcine it at a very high temperature, then cool it down, add a lot of acid, and um, then, then have a second stage roast at moderate temperature. 
compared with our process, which is a single stage mid-temperature roast. So you have a significant energy saving, which not only helps us from our cost point of view, but also obviously is beneficial from an emissions perspective as well. Yes, we, all, we also recover significant levels of the lithium in our most recent tests, up to 92 odd percent. So you're mining less rock effectively to get the same amount of lithium, or you're getting more lithium from the same amount of rock. And all of these things help, as I said, not only the economics of the project, but also the emissions profile, the CO2 footprint. And that's why we're going down the path of having Minviro prepare this formal study for us so we can demonstrate that officially, formally, and in, in, in an independent sense. What's the sort of timing on that, Jeff? Uh, we were promised at third quarter of this year, so at some stage in the next two months, I suppose, Rodney. Okay, excellent. I mean, one of the things that's that's key with, with projects always is, uh, you know, when you give away the crown jewels at the moment, you guys haven't signed any off-takes. Obviously, the talk of the, the, the battery plant will impact that, but um, if one were to, uh, you know, think about it and, and look at it from EMH's perspective, can you give us an idea of what the ideal partner would look like in terms of, you know, possibly capital and, and volumes taken and so on, duration? Yeah, and this, this again, I don't think it's a necessarily a straightforward response. I think, firstly, it would be partners as opposed to partner. You know, I think, I think it would be prudent to have uh, more than one offtake partner. You know, I could envisage having, you know, three or four. Uh, and potentially with different, you know, different types of deals, different types of arrangements, depending on when those offtake agreements were, were set. Good to have a cornerstone, obviously vital for funding a lithium project to have a bankable offtake agreement. So, you know, having something non-binding or just an MOU status, you know, it might be nice and it might be nice for the market and it might kick your share price up, you know, for a little while. But I'm really interested in something that we can take to the bank and secure the, the amount, the finance that we require to build the project. That's really the key for it. From that point of view, an off-taker who brings money to the table is obviously preferable. You know, whether that's the form of an investment or whether that's in the form of a prepayment on off-take, you know, doesn't really matter. You know, I think it's preferable, but I don't think it's it's vital. I think if you have the right bankable off-take partner, then the funding will come. The way the lithium market is right now, I think the funding is there if you have the right project and you can demonstrate that you have that, that right off-take partner. And the EU has committed significant funds to the green energy revolution, some 550 billion euros, so not, not small money. And there is, there is a strong push to, to get projects like ours into production. So I optimistically feel that we will receive some sort of uh, benefits out of the EU system by way of potential grants, uh, by way of what you might call soft debt, export credit finance, this sort of thing. And so I think, I think we'll be in a very good funding position relative to other projects because of those sorts of things. And that's another factor where I think it's not urgent or vital that our key offtake partner, you know, invest money into the project. You know, in the original flow sheet, uh, Keith, you had uh, a carbonate to hydroxide step. Do you envisage retaining that flexibility in, in the final design that you're looking at now? We do. And that's, 
it's a for the flexibility, but it's also because it's actually better, you know, for the for the flow sheet to go that way. Um, you know, it's just a, a quirk of the of the mica of, of the ore that we have, um, but it's it's beneficial to us to go that way from a metallurgical point of view. You know, everyone wants to talk about hydroxide right now, and so you know we probably will end up going to hydroxide for the full production. And I would imagine that the first offtake would be for hydroxide, but I don't think there's anything wrong whatsoever with retaining that flexibility, and there's a, there's a very minimal cost to us in doing so. And if you know you review and it makes commercial sense for the project to, to uh, expand up to fifty thousand tons, could you have the flexibility of half and half and or some combination? Yeah, well, certainly. You know, if we expanded the project and it's something that we have definitely considered and something that we have spoken about in general terms publicly. You know, the current, the current business plan phase one, if you like, of production, 25,000 tonnes per annum for about 21 years, utilises less than 10% of the overall Cinevit deposit. It's a very, very large resource. So clearly, <clears throat> you know, looking at expanding that is important to us and we have, we have begun that work. You know, and, and I think it's something we'll be able to talk about publicly before terribly long. When we, when we centred on that original business plan, you know, there were a couple of factors involved. Firstly, 25,000 tonnes seemed like a, a good level for a new entrant to the market. You know, this is a few years ago and the market was a little different than it is now. Um, and the demand, you know, was a little different than it is now. We all hope that the, the demand would grow as it has. Uh, but clearly, I think um, it's exceeded most people's expectations. So that was one factor. Secondly, you know, it already delivered a capex, estimated capex two years ago of almost 500 million US, about 480 million US. We were a, a very small Perth-based company with no strategic partners, no big brothers, no one like Chess behind us. You know, so it was already a big ask to look at one day needing to raise, you know, close to half a billion US dollars. And that's why we centred on a project producing 25,000 tonnes. There was no other real magic in it. Um, to, to take it forward, you know, there's no reason that we can see uh, why we can't significantly increase the volume, potentially up to doubling it. Uh, but it's something that we need to do the official work on. Uh, I stress, but, you know, when we do do that work, it's going to be in such a way that it doesn't uh, detract or distract from the, the current work, the, the DFS. You know, um, we, we're not interested in doing anything that's going to slow the current process. And the second part of your question, yes, no reason why we couldn't, uh, you know, simply decide to make half of that production in carbonate and half in hydroxide. Europe, there seem to be a lot of layers and a lot of organisations that have the funding and the support and the strength to actually get behind projects, uh, some, some light on that. One significant thing we saw emerge from 2020 and the COVID crisis was a refocusing back onto local supply chains. You know, the, the dangers of, of global su supply chains became more evident just purely from a logistics perspective. And those, some of those logistical uh, challenges that people face continue, you know, even through to today. So that was one factor. Uh, on, on top of that, there's, there's the mineral security factor. You know, we're all aware that currently some 80-odd or slightly over 80% of all the world's uh, lithium chemicals is controlled by China. You know, if you're the EU and you commit 550 billion euros to a new industry, 
it's probably not sensible to rely on China or any other single partner or single supplier for those battery grade metal, the battery grade chemicals. Um, the EU has said that it wants to be 80% lithium self-sufficient by 2025. It's a target they have no hope of reaching um, because there's simply not enough lithium projects in the development phase in the EU. But as an aspirational statement, I think it, it demonstrates the commitment that the, the EU has to you know, developing this industry, in, including the raw materials. So our formal involvement with the EU is via an entity called the European Institute of Innovation and Technology, EIT, who are the principal facilitator of the European Battery Alliance. So they're a big organisation, well-funded, et cetera. So we have, we have a formal agreement with the EIT, EIT Inno Energy. And uh, as part of that agreement, their role is to, apart from generally support us, it is in, to introduce us to potential sources of funding, be it at a, at a grant level, uh, a debt level and, and quasi-government debt. They have, for example, facilitated introductions to EIB, EBRD, you know, for example, plus uh, commercial banks within the EU, all the sorts of people that we will need to be talking to as we approach that final investment decision in putting together the funding package. Uh, they've also introduced us to potential off-takers in the region um, and facilitated those conversations. Uh, and they also are involved in assisting us with messaging, um, you know, is any issues that come about in, in the process, permitting ESG issues, any of those things, which happily no, none of those issues have arisen as yet. So we have, uh, we have at least weekly contact. We have a regular weekly call. Um, but at times, you know, it, it's two or three times a week. But, you know, they are committed to helping us. And if you like, they're an entity that sits between, you know, that enormous pool of money that I've spoken about and real on the ground business. So it's a, it's a facilitating role. They're very committed to, to seeing this happen. Okay, excellent. So, um, Keith, a lot of uh, catalysts between now and sort of your end then. Yeah, I think, I think so, Rodney. As I said earlier, I feel very good about the project. You know, I can see, you know, wh where I think we'll be in, in a year's time. And then, and then again, you know, when we go into production a little after that, you know, there are a couple of steps and a couple of gaps to fill in between now and then. But, you know, I'm quite confident we're going to get there. You talked about offtake earlier. Um, you know, and everyone, all junior mining companies are sort of generally quite frantic to get offtake. Um, it, it, I think it's become very much a seller's market in lithium right now. Uh, whilst it would be good to, to ink an offtake agreement, I think that it's more important to, to ink a good one, you know, one that's solid, binding, bankable, and with the right sort of people. You're saying, you know, you don't necessarily need a check to be written by um, an offtake partner, you know, if it's a if it's a you know a good binding you know quality offtake, but nevertheless you would still need to fund your half share of the equity. We have in mind that the capex will come out somewhere in the vicinity of half a billion US dollars, and we think that the project will need to find thirty percent of that in equity, um, or one hundred and fifty million dollars. And if that's the case, then European Metals commitment would be seventy-five million US dollars. So, you know, clearly we don't have that money currently. Um, we would need to have it when we get the final investment decision, obviously. 
Um, but I think we'll look very different when we get to final investment decision. We'll have a bankable project. We'll have a bankable offtake agreement at least. We'll know the project's going into production. I think the lithium price will be higher than it is today. So there are a number of reasons to think that you know, our, our share price might better reflect our share of the MPV. We have seen other uh, lithium companies who have had significant share price reactions to, for example, offtake agreements um, and, and taken advantage of, of that share price reaction to raise money at, at that point in time. Uh, you know, we have listed our ADR today, as you mentioned, Howard, uh, having access to or potential access to that, um, you know, the pool of funds that that uh, would now be able to invest into the company if we were to seek to raise money, you know, in, in the US. Building out this project, if you could talk about SMS, in addition to the, you know, the, the minority protections, you know, in your joint venture agreement with Chez, um, you know, you need to build a team, right? And, and you need to realize this project, you know, what are kind of more medium long-term aspirations, you know, potentially, beyond this project, or is this something that, you know, I guess over time uh, might become 100% owned by Chez or, 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 you know, some other partner, you know, may take, take over? When we entered into the relationship, you know, we're a very small company on the other side of the world, entering into a JV with, you know, as a minority with a partner in their own country, you know, majority owned by the Czech government. We reflected, you know, that imbalance, if you like, uh, by way of a very strong, and protective shareholders agreement that formed the basis of the of the transaction. You know, you talked about you know could shares end up with 100% of the project? That's possible, but it is something that is uh, stipulated in that shareholders agreement. It's it's very clearly set out, uh, and it has nothing to do with you know our market capitalization or where our shares are trading. So, you know, we feel comfortable with our position as a minority shareholder in this project. Um, I also have to say that Chairs has been nothing but a pleasure to work with since day one. Uh, you know, we signed the agreement on the verge of Europe shutting down for COVID. You know, I got, I got out, of the, uh, out of the country 24 hours before it would have been impossible to do so. We were in a very uncertain time of the world. I think oil was negative, negative price. You know, it, it, the, the world and everyone's future was far from certain. And having said that, check, uh, Chez stood up, wrote the check, money went into the bank two days later, and, you know, the project was de-risked and its future largely secured at that point in time. So very happy to have Chez as a partner. Not only, you know, do they have 30-odd years of operating in the country, they've got, you know, there's 30-odd thousand people on their payroll. They're very, very well-resourced. The amount of work that is being done by them uh, in country behind the scenes on the project is, is significant. Uh, their transition from coal to green energy is very helpful for us. Um, the, the location or the proposed location of the Gigafactory that we spoke about earlier is a historic Chairs power station town, you know, that they'll be looking to transform from an old, an old coal-fired power station to, you know, to the the country or the region's first um, first lithium-ion battery gigafactory. You know, they own all of the EV charging stations throughout the Czech Republic. They are a shareholder in the largest European onshore wind farm, for example. So the green energy credentials are very strong and 
uh, and getting more so, you know, as time rolls by, they're fully committed to, to green energy and, um, and going forward. Uh, in terms of where we want to be going forward, you know, we think there's a, a great deal of um, value to realise from this project. You know, you're talking about the MPV where, where it currently sits at 1.1 billion US after tax from the last PFS. I fully expect that number to go up significantly with the DFS for the reasons you mentioned. You know, lithium hydroxide is considerably higher than $12,000 a tonne now. We used a tin price at the time of $22,500, and I think it was $35,000 or $36,000 today. You know, so there are considerable reasons to think that we're going to see better economics on the project, and that's just on the phase one. You know, if we do go to this phase two, as, as we're hoping and expecting to do, I think that, you know, that's going to be significantly uh, enhancing of the, um, of the NPV, the whole value of the project. So, you know, there's no, no reason why we would think to be hanging up the for sale sign at any time in the, uh, in the short term, Howard. Okay, and then uh, could you just describe just just building a team? I mean, you've been sitting in Perth for you know all throughout COVID. Um, you know, there's a team advancing you know kind of a DFS, but you know, come financial investment decision, you know, you need to build a team. You know, Ches is not in the lithium business. Um, you know, you're not in the lithium business. Um, SMS is a four billion in you know four billion euro revenue. They're in the steel industry, and why don't you describe, you know, SMS and 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 the the nature of um, you know their contract again. In particular, it was unique that I've ever seen that they're giving you a lithium hydroxide product quality guarantee, right? Which is yeah. really critically important um, in, in battery quality. Not everyone can kind of make that grade, and they're guaranteeing you know the cost. So are a large member, you know, are they going to be outsourced? You know, are they going to be building this project, you know, an integral, you know, parts of the team? Like, how does that describe sure. all of that? So, so first to understand SMS and who they are, you know, they are a very large uh, German family engineering company with a long tradition of, of very, very high standards of work. Um, they also very well connected into the German finance industry. If you look at a number of projects for public companies that they've been involved in in the past, you mentioned Neo Metals, for example, but you could look at um, you, you could look at the um, uh, high purity alumina project they're involved with in in Malaysia currently. Um, quite often when they get involved in these projects, you see uh, German government money following or German um, bank money following, KFW, for example, et cetera, et cetera. So very well connected at, at that end of the, the European finance um, system. They are, they're very good at, uh, you know, um, what you might call complex process flow sheets, um, very, very exacting in what they do. So it's important to understand that, you know, in giving the guarantees that they've given us, um, SMS took nearly eight months of their own due diligence uh, on us and on the project before, you know, they agreed to, the, um, to be the lead engineer for the DFS, which might give you some understanding of, you know, how much of their own work they've done at, at their own cost too. Uh, so they will deliver to us at the end of the DFS a lump sum fixed price turnkey EPC contract and it will carry uh, process guarantees and product specification guarantees. And as you say, 
you know, that that is obviously very, very important. Um, the Will they build the project? Well, you know, they will obviously be in a good position having done the, the, uh, the, the put together the APC contract, but the contract that they currently have doesn't, doesn't include, you know, building the project. But, you know, clearly they're going to be in the box seat to do that. Talk a little bit about this is a zinwaldite deposit, not a spodumene deposit. Um, people look at uh, you know the head grade and they say, oh, it, you know, whatever, it's it's I don't know 0.4, or they're used to looking at spodumene, you know, one percent plus. But you do have a tin credit. Zinwaldite is a, it's a mica. Um, it's a little like lapidolite, which might be another lithium bearing mica that people are aware of. One of the one of the keys for us it is it's paramagnetic. And so we can remove the tin and tungsten right up front, straight after the fee cab with wet magnetic separation. And immediately that uh, beneficiates the lithium grade in the con. So it goes up to nearly 3% with that one single step. And that single step is obviously not a cost to us. It's a profit center because we get the the tin con and the, the tungsten out of that. So that's the first thing to understand. Um, yeah, it's, it's not apples and apples with spodumene, but the, you know, there's pluses and minuses and the, the pluses for the mica, you know, more than offset from a cost point of view. The other thing to understand is that the, the mineralization is, uh, it, it's very broad throughout the entire ore body. We're not chasing uh, narrow veins of mineralization. It, it will be a bulk underground mine. So we'll be taking out large amounts of rock, all of which are mineralized. If you look in our presentation, there's a cross section there and it shows numerous drill holes we have that have continuous lithium and tin mineralization over 200, 250, 300 metres of continuous mineralization. So that means a great deal of what we pull out of the ground is pay, is pay to it. So this is another significant advantage. Um, I mentioned earlier the differences from a processing, processing point of view with, with Zimbaldite as well. And, you know, those, those are the factors that I've mentioned that that mean that despite a lower head grade, that we can produce um, battery grade lithium hydroxide or carbonate from the, from the deposit, from the ore in the bottom half of the global cost curve, probably one of the lowest hard rock cost producers uh, globally um, when we get there for all of those, all of those reasons. What's the path to permitting? So we, um, we're expecting uh, within the next two weeks, I believe, the, uh, the feedback from the Czech Ministry on the environmental impact assessment that we, uh, we submitted two months ago. The turnaround time was designated to be two months, so we're about due for that, which will you know, give some ideas of whether they see any issues from an EIA perspective. Interestingly, that submission was accompanied by an independent study under the Natura 2000 uh, EU initiative, um, a very positive glowing report from that independent consultant. We don't, we don't see any environmental issues. You know, we've been running baseline studies for nearly three years now. We've been doing behind the scenes uh, environmental work for at least that long leading into this process. So it's not something that's, that's just happened recently. I mentioned earlier that you know we're seeking to re-enter a historic underground mine. So clearly the permitting issues there are significantly less than it would be if we were breaking new ground, if we were trying to dig an open pit, for example. Apart from that, 
you know, we have Ches as our partner. Ches have been operating, mining operating in the in the country for thirty years. You know, they they know the permitting process inside out, and they know what has to be done, what boxes need to be ticked, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you know, the indication that they've gone to an MOU with the Czech government on a gigafactory just up the road is probably indicative of their level of confidence with regards to permitting for Cinebits. And they're saying specifically they're going to supply lithium <laughs> to that battery plant. So I think they're. Yeah, and as far pretty... as I'm aware, they don't have any other lithium to supply. 